Hey, this is Mike Missanelli, and you're listening to the Feed the Embiid, the number one Sixers podcast in America. Yeah, 2-1 on his jersey, playing like he's number one. Best big in the league, and it's no debate. Who's from the haters? Point him to the exit. I guess every franchise needs its process. Every franchise needs its own process. Coming down the lane, yeah. Watch your head, yeah. We post a every game, yeah. Get your Kodak. Once he gets you under the basket, you better just pray. Hit you with the jab step, knock down, lock from Ben. Get out the way, and one. Let the fans know it. Yeah, homie, let the fans know it. Watch the trailer, the three is going in your eye. If you mess, you better get back. Cause if the bees, there won't be a putback. Keep all that trash out of the paint. Cause the bees will put it back in your face. He's a cold blooded killer, and he take no prisoners. Yeah, dump off from TJ. Call it the feed to a bee. What's going on, everybody? This is the Feed to Embiid. I am your host, Austin Krell. I have my buddy, one of, one of the guys who I started out with uh, when I first covered the beat for the first time, Kai Carlin of the Sixers Wire. He is joining me tonight. We're going to break down the last couple of games for those 76ers. Kai, how are you, my, my, my good friend? Hey, what's going on, Austin? How are you, man? Um, not bad. You know, it's, it's the, the Sixers got the dub today, but the, you know, the, the Eagles, uh, not so much, but that, that's a conversation for a different podcast. Um, it's, it's all right, man. I mean, if you would have had Matthew Stafford, you know, oh, yeah. that, that possibly probably could have won that game oh, or yeah. Jeff Driscoll. Oh my God. <laughs> Jeff Driscoll. Oh my God. Yeah. He started the um, line today. <laughs> I've already had, an, I've already had enough of this podcast. <laughs> um, <laughs> So, so the Sixers had a weird game against the Cavs on mon- not not today, Monday, uh, when they faced them in Philly for the first time this season. Um, it was actually Tuesday. Just like oh, you're right, Tuesday. My, my bad. <laughs> not everybody can be as ready to go as you are. Um, <laughs> <I'm sorry. laughs> um, that game was weird because like there was really like no outstanding performance from the Cavaliers. Like they had two guys score twenty, Kevin and 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 Jordan Clarkson. But outside of that, like Tristan had a good game, Colin had a good game, and then no one else did really anything of note. And yet, we still find ourselves clawing and scratching for a win here. And I, I, I wonder, you know, as someone who is there covering game, what did you make of Ty- Tobias Harris shooting the ball? Four of 17, 0 of 11 from three in that game for eight points. Well, I'll be honest, I, I was ready to rip him. Uh, after the game, because I mean, the Sixers are paying him $180 million and four for 17 shooting from the floor over 11 from deep will not cut it, especially for this team, championship contender, championship aspirations in this city where the, where the fans will not accept that. And I was ready to rip them. But then Brett said he was sick. Do you buy that? I don't buy that. I do because for the simple fact that I kind of looked at Tobias in the locker room post game, and you could tell there was something up. There was something that, um, to Brett's claim about him being sick, definitely had a little bit of it held a little bit of water. Just kind of looking at Tobias, I'm like, okay, I can, I can buy it. Okay, so you so you thought that that like that him being sick like explained the 0 for 11 from deep, like like 
and I don't mean that like sarcastically. I mean that like, it, is that what you think it was? He just couldn't get his his his. What the heck? I I don't think I don't, I don't think it completely um, excuses it because I mean, oh yeah. for eleven is still oh for eleven. You know what I'm saying? But you, you know, like you have to kind of like put it in perspective and be like, okay, I mean, if I'm going out here playing an NBA basketball game while I'm dealing with a cold, I mean, I, I might, Not I might yet. shoot 0 for 11 too. You know what I'm saying? So, um, I mean, it, it's kind of a little bit of give and take, like it doesn't really excuse the effort because the right. Sixers do need more out of Harris. And I feel like his last couple games, um, like, you know, during the road trip, he kind of began to break out of it a little bit. He had a solid game against the Thunder on Friday. He played well against the Cavs on Sunday. So, you, you know, like him getting healthy and getting breaking out of his illness yeah. a little bit. You saw no, and, and, I, and I get game, that. You know? I, I think, um, you know, it's the fans have a right to be worried about him just because you invested so much money in, in, in keeping him here. And it's like if that contract doesn't end up being what – you had envisioned it being, then that's a massive liability that you now have. And it's a, it's a, it's five years of a huge contract on your books. That's literally holding you back from being what you thought you could be. So, you know, I, I, I get the concern about it, but at the same time, you can't let like one five game stretch in the beginning of the year when everyone's trying to find their, their fit with this team. You can't let that be what, like, di- what be like, you know, what dictates whether you think he's worth it or not early on. I mean, the fact of the matter is that he's still their second leading scorer. Yeah, and, and that's something a lot of people really don't realize. And I, I think you and I had this conversation the other day. I, I mean, the, this city right now is still in football mode where every single yeah. game counts. Well, in the NBA, a, a game in November, sure, it sucks to lose at you know any game, but you can afford a few losses in November when you still have like 70 games left in the year. So, yeah, like basketball, basketball season's 82 games. And, and, and with a team as new as this one, you don't just throw five guys out there and expect them to, you know, be a championship contender overnight. It's not going to happen overnight. It takes time. And I know a lot of people are going to be like, OK, what about the Clippers? What about the Lakers? What about the Celtics? The Clippers just added the, the NBA Finals MVP and Paul George. And, and, you know, like they were able to get it together. The Lakers have LeBron James. And like, like the Sixers are just not that not built like that. This is going to take time. This is an oddly constructed roster. Oh yeah, and, and, I, and I think like to a large extent, you think about the fact that like Ben or not not Ben, but Paul George and Kawhi, like they haven't played a game together yet on that court. So it's essentially like two guys doing exactly what they did in their previous locations, just with different role players. Exactly. You know? So 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 it's so it's like it's so it really isn't that much of an adjustment early on. Now when Kawhi and Paul George are on the court together, then you might see some growing pains, which I guess to the casual fan doesn't make a lot of sense. But from a strategic standpoint, it's not the same touches. You're not getting them in the same spots. You're not getting the you know it's not like it's Paul George get out of the way. It's you know have to figure that how that works out together. With LeBron, he doesn't even care anymore. He just wants to pass the ball and and, and you know he'll, he'll score when he has to, but he's largely satisfied with his role he wants to win at this point exactly um where and then like i think you know you make a great point about, about the roster construction part of it the fact that your point guard is now playing in the post and your center's out, out behind the beyond the arc shooting 40 percent from three that tells you all you need to know about the construction of this roster it's not a traditional basketball roster that's why it's going to take more time than people will realize for this thing to all, all mold together with that with that being said though there is cause for concern in large part due to the coaching. 
I, I think. I mean, Brett drew up a great play in that Cavs game to win the game. It was, you know, that the Tobias got that that mid-range look that if, you know, I guess if it had been there and Joel would had been defended differently, he would have taken that shot, but then he dumped it off to Joe for the easy dunk. And in the moment, you, you know, you, you give Brett credit because it's a, it's a, it's a marvelously drawn up, drawn up play. They, they get the win, but you could make the argument that with the drop coverage that, that, that he loves, these guards score on them night in and night out, and it shouldn't have had to come back down to that because you should have won by 25 like you did today against the Cavs. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like the Sixers had the same issue last year. Um, you know, whenever they played Brooklyn, it just kind of seemed like D'Angelo Russell and Spencer Dinwiddie would just cook them for 40 points each. I mean, like it was insane. And whenever they played um, Boston, Kyrie Irving would go off for 40 points. It just That's what it kind of seemed like you know, game in and game out with these guards and Kemba Walker too, whenever they played, you know, he was with Charlotte and it was the same thing kind of this year. And because of that drop coverage and you're putting a lot of pressure on these guards to get out to the perimeter and defend these water, these quick water bug type point guards who can shake you one way and get to the basket the other way. And it's, it's putting a lot of pressure on them. This is Brown's philosophy. He wants to force long twos, pull up jump shots and, and things like that. He wants to take away layups in the three point line. Um, but it, it does leave your defense susceptible to big games from opposing guards. It, it, that, that's just kind of the weakness of this defense. Right. And, you know, I think the philosophy makes a lot of basketball sense, but it's, I think you, it makes a lot of basketball sense when you're, when you're dealing with like middle schoolers and high schoolers, because they're not going to make every shot that they take from, from, you know, every floater or every mid range jumper NBA players that are getting space, to, 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 you know, get up, like, basically practice level floaters and jumpers, they're not going to miss many of them. And I think that's sort of like, you know, I, th- I think it makes sense to, to take away the easiest look, at, which is the, which is a finish at the rim. But at the same time, you have to contest those guards, spot, those, those, those shots better. And, you know, I think the, my fear as someone who, you know, who, who is supported Brett Brown is that stubbornness and, his, and, and, and lack of desire to change that philosophy at all is going to cost him his job. I feel like eventually it will. I mean, that's always been Brown's Achilles heel, um, him not making in-game adjustments. Uh, I, I feel like from half to half, sometimes you'll see a little bit more inspired play. I feel like he's yeah. he, I feel like he um he's very good at inspiring his guys, getting into them, getting them up to play good basketball and things like that. But when it comes to strategic decisions, he just will not stray away from what has uh, what what he really believes in his philosophies on both ends of the floor is just, it's not going to really change much for him. It's, it's just it's always been about um, really playing the right way, getting up and playing hard. That's always been the big thing with him. Right. So then let, let me ask you this then, because you make an you make an interesting point. Do you think it's that he doesn't know how to adjust, or it's that he ref- is that he so he buys so heavily into his own philosophies that it's going to like shoot him in the foot eventually. I feel like it's him really buying into his own philosophies. Um, be, be, because when, when we look at the Spurs, you know, Brett came from that system, obviously. And Pop pretty much sticks to his philosophies a lot. The difference, yeah. the difference is there will, like Pop knows when he has to make an adjustment. Like, like that's kind of the difference between Pop and Brett. And, <clears throat> excuse me, Brett really has to realize okay, this isn't working. We better try this. That That's the one criticism I really have of Brett. Right. 
and I think that's perfectly fair. Now let's let's look let's look at that magic game in Orlando where they lost by 15 points. Uh, Vujovic continues to kill the Sixers since being traded from Philly to Orlando in favor of the Hall of Famer uh, Lavoy Allen, who had a very great good career with the Sixers. Hey man, um, hey man, Lavoy Allen helped the Sixers get to Game Seven against Boston in 2011. That's true. That's true. <laughs> you, I, you're not lying. Um, you know, Aaron Gordon continues to flourish and 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 become better. I think season in and season out. Um, Fultz was, you know, was whatever. Um, but you know, the, the <laughs> but like, but the story the story of 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 this game was you had really close to triple double efforts from Tobias, Josh, and Ben. I mean, Tobias eight ten and six, Josh nineteen six and five. Ben eighteen eight and five. Those those are, you know, you're you're approaching the triple double conversation with with those stat lines, and yet you lose by fifteen. Uh, no Embiid in the game. The bench combines for I believe twenty nine points. Um, I, I and then you 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 know you're starting Furkan. He's four of eleven in the game. I have two questions for you about this game. First, do you think that like Furkan's stretch here? has like reached its expiration in terms of like, okay, it was a good story. He was hot. And now he like, we're seeing what he really is. Or do you, do you buy that he's made this transformation into a guy who can pl- give 20 minutes a night and become a, a, a serious 38 plus percent three point shooting threat? Well, when it comes to Furcon, <clears throat> I, I really, I really believe in taking your summer work and using it as momentum for the season. I, I see it. Yeah. I see it with a lot of players all the time. I mean, um, you know, we, we saw with uh, I'm going to use Andre Drummond in Detroit as an example. I, I think heading into it, no, 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 I know, I know, I know. Just listen to me for this one. Heading into his heading into his third season, there was like a lot of uh, criticism about him and the fact that like you know Detroit was dumb for taking him and blah blah blah. Then he had a really big summer league and he ended up coming back the next year and was an All Star and was leading the league in rebounds and he helped right. and he helped the Pistons make the playoffs that year. Um, yeah, with Furcon. Furkan had a really great summer with Turkey in the FIBA World Cup. I mean, he really was able to really establish himself, and there was a swagger about him that you just never really saw on the NBA level. Now, my my thing was, is he going to take this swagger, this confidence, and bring it to the NBA level when he comes back in October and get ready for the season? Clearly, he has. He saw an opportunity. The reason why he came back was because he saw an opportunity since JJ left and then Jimmy left. He saw an opportunity for minutes and he has taken it by the throat, and he's done a terrific job. I think this is going to be a long-term thing. I don't think this is going to be just a couple of games and then, oh, he's going to go away because he he does have a good shot. He can shoot the ball, and his defense has really, really improved, and that's something a lot of yeah. people I don't feel like I've really talked about enough. Furkan's actually turning into a good two-way player. That's one of the more shocking developments that I didn't think we'd see this, this season, but he, he, yet here we are. Um, it, it, you know, I think you make a really good point. I think that game winner against Portland was a really big confidence booster for him to say, I can make it in this NBA and I, and you know, I, I can play in crunch time, but you brought up the FIBA, the, the FIBA thing. And I thought that was really, um, an interesting point because what a stark com- contrast that is to, uh, to Dario Saric, who, you know, he, he plays for FIBA and then he just looks lethargic out there in the NBA last season gets traded. And then, you know, and now he's been like bounced around three times in, 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 in you know, a, a year. Um, 
you, you think that's just like that's just a, a, a player to player kind of thing where it's just like it's just it is what it is, or do you think there's something to that? I think it just is. I think it just is what it is. I mean, it kind of depends on how you how much you work in, in FIBA, how much you play, what's your role, and uh, and also yet how well do you take care of your body and make sure you're ready to go when the NBA season begins. Right. Um, so that, that the Sixers got crushed in that fourth quarter in Orlando. Yeah. Uh, what did you make of that fourth quarter? What happened there? They didn't make shots. I mean, I always say this. I mean, people always kind of want to dive deep into basketball strategies and things like that. And we have to, you know, you have to really kind of look at how teams are going to play. But we got to flex ourselves as, as, as experts. We got to flex ourselves a little bit, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. But at the end of the day, basketball is a make or miss game. I mean, you're you're either yeah. going to make you're either going to make shots or or you're going to miss them. And the Sixers missed a lot of them against Orlando. You know, I, I think they shot eight for thirty from deep as a team. Tobias was still stuck in that stretch of where he missed twenty three straight three pointers and four four of thirteen, zero of three from deep. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think the big thing was they just really couldn't find a groove offensively outside of really Josh and uh, and Ben. And we all know Ben's not taking any jump shots, so he's not stretching the floor. And, and you know, it, it can kind of put a stress on you a little bit, especially when Joel's out resting and Al didn't have a great game either. So right. you, you, you kind of pick yourself up and move on. I thought they played well in the Oklahoma City game following that. They, they just weren't able to close it out. Absolutely. I, I agree with you. Um, now, speaking of that Oklahoma City game, we're going to jump to that now. Um, so I think the, the season hit its low point. There in that Oklahoma City game, you know, you, you were coming off a game in Orlando where you got you got your asses kicked, um, and you know you, you thought they they came out hot. Oklahoma City's they're trying to stave off a rebuild, but it's inevitable at this point. Um, you get thirty one from MB, twenty eight from Josh. Tobias breaks out of his slump, and you get a near triple double from Ben. And yet here we are. You you lose by eight. You drop one to Oklahoma City. Alexander uh, had 24 points, Gallinari had 28, Chris Paul 27. Uh, your bench had 11 points total. So let, let let me let me let me pick your brain on this. What is your evaluation of this bench so far? I mean, I, I had high hopes coming in because I thought the bench had been just so putrid in the past that this looked like an upgrade because it seemed to match the defense the defensive identity that Brett Brown wants to run, but Eleven points is basically unheard of. I mean, you you could get that from one bench guy in one quarter on some teams, and yet the entire bench for the entire game gives you eleven points. Hey man, what do you think of this bench? Hey man, it's better than what the Washington Wizards gave them in Game Seven against Boston. Only five points off their bench. It happens sometimes, man. That happened. That was a thing. Yeah, that was legit a thing. Washington in Game <laughs> Seven. In Game Seven of the, I think it was the twenty seventeen semifinals Boston ended up beating the Wizards by 10 and the Wizards yeah, that was the Olenek game yeah yeah that was the Olenek game and Washington only had five points off their bench and they all came from one guy Boyan Bogdanovich and the they they played like three or four bench guys that night and the other ones just could not score at all that's insane it happens sometimes I mean, my my god um then I want I want to jump to Al Horford then um well, actually, you know, let, let's let's stay on the topic of the bench. Okay. Um. So, Mike Scott, um, you know, he I thought he I I pegged him as being the best guy 
off the off the Sixers bench this year, and then you know Thibault made a good case early on, and now he's sort of fallen out of the out of the rotation. What's what's going on with Thibault? Is is that like a, you know he's right now just trying to experiment with different guys, or have they cooled on Thibault? Uh, I don't think they've really cooled on him. The reason why he dropped out of the rotation was because of Ben's injury, which I, I thought was a weird you know um, reason. But this is the reason Brett gave. He said the reason why Matisse dropped out, Ben Ben was injured, and we had a role with Howell Neto and Trey Burke um, as the guards, and we really couldn't find a spot for Matisse in the rotation. Then you notice Ben comes back from his injury, Matisse gets back in the rotation. Like Matisse has, you know, played like last yeah. couple of games since Ben came back. So that was the reason why he wasn't playing when Ben was out. I guess Brett wanted to see what he really had in Howell, who. I pegged to be the team's backup point guard when the season started and, and Trey Burke, who I thought they would kind of use Trey as more of like a spark, you know, whenever they needed, like whenever the offense was bogging down, throw Trey Burke out there, see if he can kind of, um, you know, get anything going on the offensive end. That's where I kind of pegged Trey Burke when they, when they signed him, I didn't really have high expectations for him. Um, in terms of this bench as a whole though, Mike Scott is who he is. He's going to, he's going to provide all the hustle plays and be gritty you know, nail a couple of threes and maybe score five to seven points. I mean, he's not really going to really give you a big offensive spark. The offense you're looking for from the bench is going to be from James Ennis III and Furkan Korkmaz. Now, Ennis has been up and down, and, and, and I feel like that he was good in the Cleveland game Sunday. He scored 14 points. That's a big name. But yeah. there, there are going to be nights where James Ennis is not going to have it, and that's where you have to right. rely on Korkmaz. Yeah, I completely agree with you. Um Speaking of of Howell Neto versus Trey Burke, why do you think that 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 they lean Neto in, in, instead of Burke? Because you know, and, and I I'm sort of indifferent to it. I probably lean a little bit Neto because uh, I think he's just a better floor general at the moment than 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 Burke is. But you know, the the Sixers Twitter world seems to have this have this idea that Trey Burke is like the second coming of Jesus. Um, <laughs> exactly. And, and so and so you know I I. I for you know, for the for the listeners, for the people who are on Twitter, why do you think that they lean Neto over Burke? For the simple fact that you said he's more of a floor general, and I saw it. In, I saw it in the preseason. I mean, Trey Burke definitely has a scorer's mentality. Um, he he can definitely, you know, when like I said, he, he's like he's a guy who can go out there when the team needs a spark. Like if, if you're struggling to score the ball and offense is bogging down and nothing's working, throw Trey Burke out there and see what he can do offensively. He's proven it in the past. I think he had like a 42-point game when he was with the Knicks when he was going up against Kemba Walker a couple years ago. The dude had 42 points. He could put the ball in the basket, but he doesn't know how to run an offense. He 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 dribble, dribble, dribble. I'm gonna, oh, yeah. you know, I know I'm gonna take a step back jump shot because you know I think I'm Allen Iverson and and this is how I'm gonna play basketball. Meanwhile, Howell Neto is a excuse me much better three-point shooter. He, in my opinion, is a little bit better of a defender, and he is a floor general, and that is Brett Brown's guy. That like Howell Neto is the prototypical Brett Brown guy. I agree with that 100. Um, Al, Al Horford started out really hot for the Sixers. He was he was huge in that Detroit game. He you know he's been big in a couple of of their games. He's a couple. He's a 30 pointer or somewhere, a couple 20 pointers. Um, and he's really sort of hit a wall the last couple games this week. Um, you know, he really hasn't been effective. And I got, I got to wonder, is that maybe just a sign of Brett Brown's demise as, you know, cause you know, it looks like, 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 like Al's regressing or is that just, 
you know, trying to figure out the spots with Joel in the lineup. What's going on with Al Horford, do you think? It, it, it's really still figuring out his role on this team. Um, I, th- I think I asked him after the Charlotte game on, on Sunday. I, I asked him, I said, how do you feel like your chemistry going on with Joel is? I mean, I know you haven't played with him much, how's, but how's it going? And he kind of hesitated a little bit. And he says it's progressing. I mean, I'm still trying to figure out my spot. And we're only a couple games into the year. Joe missed a couple because of the suspension and his injury um, with the knees. So we're, we're still trying to figure it out. And I feel like we're really beginning to really see that. And Josh Richardson said um, he preached patience on Sunday, which patience is a tough thing to sell in Philadelphia. But oh, yeah. I mean, Josh Richardson had really has, he preached patience on Sunday. He says, this is, he said to me, this is not going to happen overnight. We've only been playing basketball together for three weeks. If you really think about it. And uh, you, you know, we still need to work a lot of things out. That's really what Josh said. And, and it just, it made perfect sense to me. I'm like, yup, you're right. <laughs> just, <laughs> just, just to, you know, to, to you know, the, the, the passionate fans of Philadelphia are not going to accept that though, because they want wins. And especially due to this team having gone through, you know, the infamous process for all those years. We are the most reactive fan base in the, in the country. And it is so frustrating because if you wait like a half hour, 45 minutes after the game, to just decompressing and let your blood pressure come down a little bit. You come to the realization that we are 12 games into the season. Calm down. It takes time. Right. Right. And it just it just it gets really annoying, and then that's really for like, like, um, like most fan bases too. I mean, I, I see it like not just with Sixers fans. I see it with a lot of the, the fan bases around all sports, bat, basketball, football, even baseball. Fans will react to baseball losses in April, and I'm like, dude, there's 162 <laughs> games. Like, like, what are I you know. doing? It happens. So yeah, like fans, you know, they really react quickly instead of really calming down for a little bit and you're like okay okay yeah they got this this and this but they'll yeah. figure it out um let's take it over to the sunday game today against cleveland um tobias was you know he i thought tobias today really got back to that clippers form where he was efficient scoring the ball he had 27 big ones on 12 of 14 shooting um he only took two threes but you know i I don't really care how many threes he takes in the game. I mean, I want him to take at least one in the game. Obviously, he shot one of two today, but I wanted to see him get to his spots and become this off-the-dribble scorer that you know he he is being paid to be. I thought today he got back to that in a big way. Um, it looks like Al is continuing, you know, like you said, still trying to get to his spots. Eleven, six, and seven today. Um, and beat played twenty-two minutes. What is your what is your opinion on this load management? Uh, you know. I think it's bullshit, but, um, you know, he played 22 minutes. Why can't they just give, you know, say like, play, we'll play in every game and we'll, you know, we'll, we'll get a big lead and then we'll just rest them. I mean, I, I, I get, you can't just predict that and, and sort of schedule that in, but I mean, I feel like that's a better tactic for the team's long-term development and growth as a unit. If he's not missing random games in the middle of the season for load management, when you can just, not play him once you're up by 25. Well, I'm I'm kind of with you on this one. Like I feel like you know you can he can totally play every game. Just in some games you can limit his minutes. For example, like today against Cleveland, you're playing against a really bad Cavs team. You you took care of business. You went up by as many as 31, and and then you can rest him from there. Um, but then you look at the other side of the argument, and you see Toronto resting Kawhi Leonard all throughout the year. The Raptors went on to win the championship. 
So it, it's and then you see the Spurs. I, I think they really kind of began starting it after they lost to Miami in the finals in 2013. They came back the next year and just started randomly resting Kawhi, Tim Duncan, Parker, Ginobili, like random games. And then they went on to beat the crap out of the Heat in the finals in 2014. So, right. you know, like you could totally see different sides of the argument. I'm with you. I feel like they should play every game. If you're healthy, you should totally go out there and play. Um, and, and then if, if coaching need be, you know, restrict your minutes a little bit and get you ready for the next game. But you also see the other side of it. I'm kind of on the fence. I don't hate it, but I don't love it either. Yeah, I mean, first of all, I know, I know that this is like a boomer take, but like, like you okay, know, load management wasn't was it? <laughs> 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 like, like load management was unheard of fifty years ago. Like, no one knew what that was. Like, that wasn't even a thing. That was like the softest thing in the world. Right. And you know, and you know, I, I I do think there's something to be said about getting your players the proper TLC that they need during the course of the season, but let's save that for February, March, and April when you've already built that sizable lead and you've already found your identity and where you can just sort of, you know, take a day off and then plug right back in and, you know, get back to what you were doing that got you to, to the 25 games above 500 mark in the first place. Like the, the, the longer it takes you to develop this chemistry, you're putting yourself at risk of being in a hole come late season and you're down, you know, you're three games out of the spot you want to be in with, with, with 15 left. So why not just take care of business first and then you take a vacation? Yeah, I feel like that's always been the biggest, I guess, like argument for that. But you kind of look at what Toronto did last year with Kawhi and you're like, oh, oh it works. And, and, the, and then the, the NBA is such a copycat league to where they're going to see what worked and try to replicate it. And I feel like a lot of people kind of saw, you know, Toronto is defending champions right now. So we're all going to look at what Toronto did with Kawhi and be like, oh, okay, let's load manage and kind of go from there. Right. So what you're telling me is that someone's someone's going to hit a a quadruple doink uh, buzzer beater in game seven for the Sixers now. Yes, sir. (laughs) Load load management, copycat. I like it. I like what I'm hearing. Um, So I – I thought tonight would be I thought today would be the day with with the Eagles on TV for most of the Sixers game. Um, it's a Sunday game against a, a poor team, local broadcast. I thought today might be the day that Ben Simmons finally takes a jump shot, and yet I was obviously snorting some pixie dust because that didn't happen. Um, do, do you think that Ben Simmons is or can be an elite player without a jump shot? I mean, I think he's already an elite player. Like for me, he's already like in the top 20 or at least borderline top 20. Like I just, I have a lot of praise and really respect for Ben Simmons for what he does. He's terrific on both ends of the floor, terrific defensively, offensively. We all know his limitations, but he's still a consistent triple double threat, grabbing rebounds, setting up his teammates. You know, he's, he's aggressive when, when he's aggressive, he gets to the basket but it's getting to a point where it's like, Ben, dude, just take one jump shot, man. Like, we all saw the... It's not going to kill you. Right, right. It, 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 you, like, you fucking swim with stingrays in Australia, but you're afraid of a jump shot. Like, come on. Right, exactly. So it's, it's kind of like, Ben, you, you're not going to take one jump shot, my guy? Like, come on. We all saw those videos of you working out in the summertime. And, um, and I mean, Brett Brown talked at nausea. I'm talking. It was getting to a point where it was like, Brett, shut up. 
to the point where he legit just kind of kept going, oh, Ben's going to do this. I was so excited about Ben this season, the work he's put in on the jump shot. He wants to come in here and prove it. And then we're now 13 games into the season, and he still has yet to take one single three-pointer, where he doesn't even need to take a three-pointer. I don't need him firing up 30-footers like he's Steph Curry. But, you know, like it's getting to a point where it's like, dude, just take a mid-range shot. It's not that hard. You can well, the thirty footers would be pretty cool. It would be cool. I mean, you know, it would be cool, but just let it's one of those like forty five foot hail marys against Oklahoma City and Ben out of nowhere just pulls up and you're like, wait, what? And, and he just drills it. it down. <laughs> you're just like, what the fuck is happening? I mean, and I'll be honest, that three pointer he hit in the preseason opener against Guangzhou, um, you know, to end the half, and he calmly yeah. and I know he had to shoot it. It was at the end of the half. The shot clock, the clock was winding down. He had to shoot it. But it was a good form. It was confidence, and he just—he was in the half court. He pulled up, drilled it, and I thought that that was a sign to come. And he hasn't taken a three-pointer since. Well, I see one logical explanation. We had to bring Gungju back for a game and play them. Oh, that, yep. that, make, that's make, the only option. Um, that's got to be a backup season no, game. I, I 100% agree. I, I, without a doubt, yep. we're on the um, same page here. Also. Now, you know, Jason Blevins and, and uh, you know the painted lines. We 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 cover. Uh, the G League a lot too, um, and we we've been you know we, we've been at the games we've been seeing Zaire Smith some. Where do you think he stands in terms of their long term uh, plans? And you know, I personally I think he's going to get traded mid season. I don't think he's an Elton Brand guy. I think that they just sort of like took him on as like the as like as like a as like a as, as like a, a trade chip in that uh in, in that trade that involved the pick and Kale Bridges. But I, you know, I think that 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 you know that allergic reaction he had severely set him back in terms of his development as, a, as an NBA player. I mean, I don't even I don't even think he has NBA skill right now. Yeah, and, and it's a shame because he, in, in summer league last year he really showed off some NBA game. But then the Jones fracture happened, and, and then the allergic reaction really set him back. All the weight he lost and everything else in between. It's a sad thing. But I, I'm, I agree with you, Austin. I mean, that that's kind of business in the NBA. If you're not cutting it, then you got to go. So I feel like they are going to trade him at some point. I saw your tweet earlier, the one about Wayne Ellington. And yeah. I, I feel like he'd yeah. be a perfect fit uh, for, for Philadelphia. And I, I, I don't want Zaire traded to New York because it would kind of be like, um, like, like kind of like with Markel Fultz. You kind of got to get Zaire in a smaller market just to kind of help him develop a little bit. And – you know, New York, New York would eat him up. So it's it's, it's getting to a point where you know you, you gotta. <laughs> nah, he'd be fine. James Dolan, come on, he'd be he'd be, he'd be, oh, he'd be great. Please, he'd be fantastic. <laughs> You'd have Dolan ripping the tubes out of his out of his chest by accident. <laughs> oh, oh, my bad, Zaire. My bad, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Oh, I need to do that. Oh um, shit, my bad. <laughs> yeah, a hundred percent. Um, that, so they, they have, uh, 13 of their next 18 at home after this, uh, 13 game start, if you know, uh, I don't even know how many it was. I think it was nine of 13 on the road to begin the season. Yeah. It was a tough, it was really a tough way to open the season. It was a nice test for them to come out eight and five, you know, it's impressive with a new team. Yeah, it's not as bad as it looks. It's not, a, it's not as bad as it looks. Right. Um, so what do you think, like, what do you think the stretch ahead looks like with 13 of 18 at home? Well, Let's kind of start off with this first three-game stretch, this three-game homestand before they head to Toronto. 
they host New York, then they host San Antonio, and they host Miami. Now, New York, that should be a win. The Knicks are a dumpster fire. And then the Spurs coming in, like, these, these aren't, you know, the Spurs you and I grew up with. The, the, the Spurs aren't that great. These aren't, these, aren't, these aren't your dad's Spurs. <laughs> right, right, right. These aren't these aren't our dad's Spurs. This is the Spurs, you know, or they're, they're, they're trying to rely on LaMarcus Aldridge and DeMar DeRozan to win them games. Two good players, but they don't – they're not – you know, good in today's game, you know, so uh, they, they should right. be dispersed. Now the heat game is going to be interesting because not only is it going to uh, have the hype surrounding it of Jimmy Butler's first return to Philadelphia, but the heat mm-hmm. some really good basketball. And I feel like a lot of people really don't give Eric Spolstra a lot of uh, the, yeah, enough credit. I've always been a huge, I've been a huge Eric Spolstra guy, even before they brought in LeBron um, and Bosch to join Wade. Um, Spolster was winning games and guiding the Heat to the playoffs in his first and second years as coach of the Heat before the Big Three came in. And Spolster, ever since then, ever since LeBron left, he's kept the Heat competitive. They've been making the playoffs. Uh, they haven't had the success of the Big Three era, but that's what that's what's going to happen when you lose a guy like LeBron James. But the Heat are playing some good ball this year. Kendrick Nunn's turning into a good player. Tyler Hero, Bam Adebayo, really finding their roles around Butler. And that's going to be a really – that's going to be a bloodbath on Saturday. I hope there's actual blood. Yeah, that would be great. I think so. You know, no, exactly. And, I, and I, you know, I, hope, uh, I, hope, I hope Jimmy, uh, you know, is, can, can handle coming out of retirement for one last night before he goes back to my Coming out of retirement. Um, <laughs> um, so I, I'm going to say that they really start to click and it's we're looking at like a uh, – a 13-5, 14-4 stretch. I think so. I'm, I'll agree with you on that because even after this three-game homestand, they go to Toronto, um, and then they come home and host Sacramento before Thanksgiving. And then they go to – and then they face the Knicks again at MSG on Black Friday, which that should be another win. And then they come home and, and host Indiana the next night, which hopefully Indiana doesn't have Victor Oladipo yet. <laughs> but, yeah. Do you buy him? Do you buy Oladipo? He's a top twenty-five player. Yeah, I'd probably rank him around 22, 23. See, I thought that that one year, he, the first year he had in Indiana, was an amount was just like a, was like a, uh, a, a fluke. Was uh, a fluke. Yeah, I thought it was a fluke, and I was convinced of it because, like, his his. There's no way that you're going to see there's like a a ten percent jump in someone's three point percentage over one season. That, that's a gradual development. I thought he just sort, sort of like figured it out, and then was going to get. Then he himself was going to get figured out. Last season, but he continued to, to surprise last season, so I was shocked by it. Um, he's a good player, but I mean, I, yeah. I mean, I'm not going to sit here. I mean, I, I'm not going to sit here and say that like he's this franchise savior per se. But I mean, he's Victor Oladipo is you know a, an all star shooting guard, very good player. I, yeah, I, I I agree with that. Um, now, so I, I want to sort of get into this idea of like the drop coverage that, that, that they love to do. Cause I, I think people sort of like don't necessarily understand what's happening there. When, when the big, when they, when they screen, you have the, you have the bit, you have Joel dropping down for the, for the most part. And I feel like for whatever reason, the guard doesn't really know how to get around the screen. And I wonder it are, are they going under the screen? Are they going over the screen? The, the strategy behind that sort of doesn't make sense to me because you shouldn't have that much space in front or behind when you're setting that when, when you're coming off that screen. And you know, 
I just I just kind of wonder like why doesn't he adjust or or, or you know implement a new strategy just something that like sort of throw off the offense and just not be not be so predictable well i i feel like it's kind of like what you and i touched on earlier i feel like he just he really is a he doesn't stray away too much from from his philosophies he brett is going to stick this out there they're going to they're they're going to play a certain way they're going to play hard and they're going to hope that that the offense takes a lot of long twos rather than, you know, stepping mm-hmm. back for threes and taking these three pointers. And they want to take away the threes and they want to take the, they want to take away the layups that that's what, right, that right. always been Brett Brown teams, even during the process years, like you kind of saw it as where like, they kind of wanted to take away threes and, and layups. That was always a big thing. And it, it just, it gets magnified now just because of the fact that they are championship contenders. So people are going to nitpick at almost everything now, but, yeah. but I mean to be fair, I mean if you go back and look at, uh, excuse me, the, the the process years when it was Tony Roten and Jakar Sampson and Hollis Thompson, like they kind of had the same issues. Oh, long live, long live Hollis Thompson, a hundred percent. So the last thing I'm going to ask you is, when you have when you have two bigs like Embiid and Horford, and they can both sort of stretch the floor. But yet they're so imposing down low on both sides of the ball. Why isn't one of them on the block at all times? Because your point guard can't shoot. God damn that fucking point guard. <laughs> <laughs> of course, it comes back to the point guard. Um, because Ben can't shoot, and and you know Brett has that that that's the adjustment. He's made great adjustments offensively. I feel like. I mean, he's. You know he's kind of maximizing his players' strengths and trying to hide their weaknesses. And he know he knows Ben can't shoot. Like Brett is Brett was hoping that he would <clears throat> excuse me that he would shoot this year, but you can clearly tell Ben refuses to shoot the basketball. And it's going to get to a point where you have to have your bigs on the outside. And you have to have your point guard on the block. It's 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 unfortunate, but that's how the Sixers are going to play basketball. In, uh, this is what this is. You know, I, I I titled the podcast "The Sixers Make Us Drink," and this is why. This is the he's got to. <laughs> eventually, he is going to have to shoot the basketball. He's going to have to. It's impossible and, for him to go the entire career and not shoot the basketball. Right, and and Brett kind of has hinted at that. He goes, "We understand how important it is, especially in April and May when the playoffs roll around, and we're going to kind of gradually build him up." But it, this is where the gradual buildup begins, like not just in April and May. The, it, it begins in November, and you kind of, you know, take a couple jump shots here and there, then maybe take a couple more in December, take some more in January, February, March, and just progress into the playoffs. And it's just it's not happening right now. Do you think that he'll hit a three this season? I mean, I had in my bold predictions when the season came out, dude, I predicted 10. <laughs> we're, a lot, we're, we're, now, we're, we're 10 away from that being right, so... So I mean, yeah, we're only ten away. So with sixty nine <laughs> games left, <laughs> so I'm Ample gonna. Time. I'm, I'm, I'm hope. I, I, I really, I believe he'll hit at least two. Like I mean, if I had a, if I had to say something, like like an educated guess, I'm gonna predict that Ben makes at least two three pointers this year, at least. Oh, that would be. Inst- Twitter's gonna explode that night. 
Um, the last last question I do want to I would do want to gauge you on is so Josh Richardson. What is what is his role in this team look like? I, I you know I, I tweeted out a while ago that Sixers fans should hope that he plays himself out of out of a contract in, in Philly because if he's too expensive, it means that they probably won a championship. I mean, yeah, I, I don't think him being an All Star like like and, and if he becomes okay. one, then you know I, I'll, I'll I'll eat my words, but I almost want to say that it wouldn't shock me if he got traded. Uh, it wouldn't shock me either, but really Josh's role with this team is kind of similar to the one he played with the Heat. Uh, the only difference is Philadelphia is not asking him to do as much as Miami did. Miami was asking Richardson to be the guy. They were asking him to be their kind of like Andre Iguodala when he was here in Philly. They were just they were really asking Josh to really be their guy when really he just he wasn't it. Josh is a role player who can do it all. He's like a Swiss Army knife. Um, I mean, I, I hate to make another reference to Detroit, but he kind of reminds me of Tayshawn Prince a little bit. Just a guy who will, will do a lot of different things on the floor. A good defender. He scores. He rebounds. He assists. He can hit He can hit the three ball. Not like he's J.J. Redick, but he's a good three-point shooter. And I feel like he can be the glue. He can really bring this team together. And, then, and uh, that's pretty much going to be his role for the long term. And I feel like that's what we've seen for the first couple weeks of the season. Absolutely. All right, Kai. So you got you got some more articles to write tonight. Kai is one of the best grinders out there covering the Sixers. Be over under. I almost said overrated, underrated, underrated personality on 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 Twitter. Very very good uh, writer and contributor. Follow him at Kai. Where do they follow you at? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter and on Instagram, Kai underscore Carlin. It is the same handle for both social media accounts. And they find him on the Sixer Wire. It's a subsidiary of the USA Today, correct? Yep. Uh, yes. Yeah, sports USA Today Sports Media Group. It's we're owned awesome. by USA Today. Yeah. Correct. But when you go out, when you go out and try to impress people, you say, "I'm a writer for USA Today," and they all go crazy about it. Yeah, exactly. Oh, I always lead off with that. <laughs> always have to. <laughs> all right, guys. Thanks so much for coming on, man. Of course, Austin. Thanks for having me, man. And a huge thank you to Kai Carlin for coming on the Feed to MB tonight. It was a great conversation with him. Kai's a great guy. Uh, you know, works very hard, and uh, have a lot of respect and uh, and for him. And I enjoy talking to him often. Um, do you like shotgunning beer? You want to increase your shotgunning time at parties? Check out my boys at the King Cobra. The King Cobra is a shotgunning tool that makes the perfect shotgunning hole in under a second. There's also a tab puller, vent puncher, and all fits on a keychain. For more information about the King Cobra, check them out on Instagram at the King Cobra Co. That's the King Cobra Co. And Cobra is spelled with a K. 10% discount on all products. Enter the code TRUSTTHECOBRA10, all caps, all one word. Pick up yours today. The feed to Embiid and its name are protected by U.S. copyright laws. Reproduction and distribution without my written permission is prohibited. Copyright the feed to Embiid 2019. Sixers win today in Cleveland, 114.95, 8-5 on the season. I'll be back in action on Wednesday, yes, Wednesday, against the Knicks at the Wells Fargo Center. As always, thank you for tuning in. Please remember to rate and subscribe, and have a good night, everybody.